Hello, I'm Grayson Brulte, and welcome to another episode of SAE Tomorrow Today. If you haven't already, please kindly take a moment to follow and be notified when a new episode is released. SAE Tomorrow Today is published every Thursday. Before we launch today's episode, let's talk about relationships. As an SAE Tomorrow Today listener, you've heard about how personal relationships have made an impact on an individual's career. At its core, SAE is all about connecting people and helping those individuals develop relationships. It's never been more essential than it is today. For a limited time, SAE is offering a free trial to its exclusive Member Connection online platform. And what does this mean to you? It allows you to join real-time discussions on critical advancements, get answers to technical questions, and start to develop and build connections that eventually turn into relationships. Experience the power of connecting through SAE. Click the link in the show notes and sign up today to start your free Member Connection trial. On today's episode, I sat down with Jim Meisner, Director of Product Management, Automotive for Qualcomm Technologies Incorporated. Broadband is being enhanced with the rollout of 5G, and Qualcomm is right there connecting vehicles through CV2X technology. CV2X is changing the world by connecting vehicles to networks, the cloud, other vehicles, pedestrians, and more. In addition to his work with Qualcomm, Mr. Meisner is helping to set the CV2X standards. As SAE's Technical Committee Chair, and as a great partner for STEM through the incredible SAE Foundation. We're talking to the right guy about where technology is going, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to the podcast, Jim. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. We're happy to have you here because what Qualcomm builds is cool. You're 5G this, 5G that, and it's absolutely the coolest thing going in the world now. So thank you so much for taking the time to, to share the, the uh, insight into automotive 5G today. Jim, as the executive director of the University of California PATH program, you were considered a pioneer in vehicle highway automation and vehicle safety communication. What did you see at the time that other individuals, your, your peers and colleagues did not see? Um, I, I don't know if I'd characterize um, way back when as, as me being particularly visionary. Um, I had my nose and I was looking straight in front of it. Um, and at the time, uh, actually, I became the executive director toward the end of my path tenure. So at the time, I was plain and simple a researcher. And uh, the research problem of the day was to do vehicle highway cooperation with automation. Little did I know that that would turn into the rest of my career. Uh, so, so certainly I didn't have a vision except that there was a problem to be solved. And that problem initially was on the autonomy. That became in the two hard bin pretty quickly. USDOT started something called the Intelligent Vehicle Initiative. And we didn't even call it ADAS or Advanced Driver Assistance Systems then, we call it Active Safety. And started to work with OEMs on the problem of doing active safety. And because of my background in communication, I threw that in and voila, uh, this V2I just happened. So as most things, it was serendipitous. Did, did you just fall in love with the research and just every day trying to learn more and figure out ways to expand it to improve lives? Isn't that how we do things? Um, life should be a learning experience. Now, learning experience that helps save lives is a good way of, of trying to progress into the future, certainly. Learning is the greatest thing you can do. And I read two books over the weekend and I feel refreshed. And it's like, okay, I learned something new this week. And I read two really interesting books. That That's good. I, I read the cartoons in the Sunday paper. So you, you're one up on <laughs> That's it. even better. <laughs> You gotta, you gotta have, you gotta have humor in there as, as you're doing, as you're doing research because humor you can uncover a lot. There's the great Peanuts comic strips from way back in the day. So today, 
you're Qualcomm. 5G is beginning to roll out. The term is everywhere. I turn on the TV, 5G this. I go down the highway, I see a billboard, 5G that. I love to know, what is 5G in general? And why does 5G mean so many things to so many individuals? Mainly because it is so many things to so many individuals. Um, one, one way to consider 5G and what you see in the commercial is enhanced mobile broadband. That is a bigger pipe to do things faster. Now, as an individual, that, that's pretty cool and you want that. Um, as an OEM, you want that too, A, for the individuals who buy your cars, but B, for the services that it unlocks. So when you think about 5G and enhanced mobile broadband and the big pipe, you start thinking about cloud computing and doing things and transferring data off the vehicle. You think about customer relations management. In addition to the, the convenience and mobility that's offered via the 5G connectivity. So it also means, um, depending on the vertical you're in, uh, ultra-reliable, low-latency communication. So if you wanted to do surgery from a, now, maybe you're not a surgeon, but maybe you want a great surgeon working on someone you love from across the world, you would be able to do this with, with the, the, this concept in 5G. When we talk about the automobile instantiation, I talked briefly about the enhanced mobile broadband, but there's a part that I work on, which is the connectivity, the direct connectivity using 5G which we call new radio side link. That is directly to each other, not up and down, but side link. And that's yet another flavor of 5G. So it depends on the vertical, depends on the application, and there is a potpourri of interesting new radio types of technologies that, that constitute what we call 5G. Is the pipe low latency, is that the, the magic glue to allow the new services to be enabled to have better impact on consumers' lives? There are many measures of quality. Um, and certainly different types of pipes. So using your plumbing analogy, there's that mainline pipe that takes you from, well, I don't want to say the sewer, but basically the water source. Let's just, let's just make this a good analogy here. So there's a source, right, of where you get all your fresh water through the pipes, but there's also the direct pipe, which is really close. That's maybe the hose or spigot where you come in from, and that's the direct communication. I and mean, it's not a perfect analogy, but one way to think about it is that both of those benefit from low latency. I would say they have different reasons to exist. That is that you want a big pipe to carry lots of data, um, but but if I'm approaching you, you're a car, I'm a car, uh, I might want that direct communication over 5.9 gigahertz, that is over ITS spectrum, where you could have a different uh, carrier, I could have a different carrier, but we have a safety data exchange, or better yet with 5G, we would have cooperation. We'd be able to actually have a distance-based unicast or groupcast, so we can start becoming cooperative automated vehicles, which is really the brass ring that we've been chasing for a number of years. Does that directly tie into the incredible work that you're doing with C2X? Uh, well, thank you for calling it incredible, but, but that is my swim lane. So I wake up thinking about CV2X and I go to bed thinking about CV2X. So it does. Uh, CV2X is cellular V2X. Doesn't have to use the cell system, but it can. So one way to think about it is V, which is the center of the SAE universe, right? Vehicle, vehicle to vehicle, vehicle to infrastructure, and vehicle to network, and increasingly in our minds, vehicle to pedestrian. So what we do is we go through the, the types of standards that exist for radios and telecommunications. We say, can we tune it up for the automotive application? 
Can we think of direct short-range communication? Can we think of using the network? And let's call this whole thing CV2X. When it gets to 5G, it'll be 5GV2X. So there's a version around now, which directly ties in, but basically its child will of the version now will be the 5G version, which will have these low latency and other types of properties that you alluded to. And to allow everybody to, to play nice in the same sandbox using that analogy, is that why you're chairing this technical chair for the SAE C to VX? So if you have Acme here, pedestrian here, everything can play nice together? Well, that, that's part of it. Um, uh, thank you for, for, for describing what I do as playing nice. And certainly that's what you have to do in SAE, right? It is an industry association, sorry, an industry standards body, this one aspect, comprised of individuals representing different aspects of industry. And actually, I started that technical committee. Um, a little bit of history, I, I, I fell under standards when I was a researcher, no longer that I'm doing product. Um, way back when I was not happy with the way that the map was formatted to do intersection safety. Little did I know that, that I would be reeled in at that point. I became the chair of the DSRC technical committee, which is the antecedent technology. Um, mainly because of, of, of the dedication to seeing this V2X safety, but the better radio came along and that CV2X. And I recognized and then petitioned to the Motor Vehicle Council that we needed to have a different radio access technology set of specifications. From that spawned the CV2X technical committee. Now, in recent days or recent years, the SAE has has really become a layered way of uh, address the layered way of doing standards. So there is a radio. On top of that are radio neutral application profiles. And so the vision that I had that I wanted when we started the CV2 Technical Committee has, has happened, which is that you have specialty radio uh, glue types of committees, which is my committee, and then different committees that work on applications. So uh, maybe I didn't answer your question, but I certainly did give you a long answer. Is the radio, if, if you want to use another analogy, is it kind of like the platform that things could be built on top of? So if somebody wants to enable uh, vehicle to infrastructure, another person wants a vehicle to pedestrian or vehicle to light where you know, okay, the light's going to turn green in, in X amount of time. Is that kind of that platform? Does the radio that platform? Exactly. Radio, that and, 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 and one way to think about it is, is that the technical community in SAE doesn't do radios. Uh, the third generation partnership project does radio specifications that are global. What this group in the SAE does is it glues and profiles that radio to the types of applications we need for V2X. And then specific committees work on those V2X applications. What are some of the applications that can run on V2X? Well, the first and foremost are safety applications, and that's a very large class. Uh, but one way to think about it is what can V2X do that an onboard sensor has a difficult time doing? And can look around corners, not perfectly, but you can look around corners. Um, so intersection movement assist, left turn assist, very problematic and safety critical, uh, are, are what V2X can do. Uh, if the X includes the infrastructure, then you have the signal phase and timing from the traffic signal, which can be transmitted by radio. What V2X has intrinsically that no other sensor has is you are the sensor and you know where you're going. You know your yaw rate, you know basically what the intent is, you know your path history. 
that gets transmitted. So now you have an intercept point. You know where that vehicle is going because you're telling the other sensor that. There's no other sensor that works like that. There are other things that it does well. It supplements onboard sensors. It does really well because of range with do not pass warning. Uh, but the, the, the primary and most important aspects are the safety at intersections. Now, if I can just embellish it a little bit more, what we want to do aspirationally is work with pedestrian safety because the types of radio standards that are being applied for V2X are the same types of radio standards that get put on a handheld. Now, it's easy to say, hard to do, but, but we have an eye on that. So eventually, it will do a whole lot more all towards safety. That's our, our goal. Is vehicle pedestrian, if you want to use the Silicon Valley term, scale? Is that where the goal is to scale VTX up? And if I'm a pedestrian, do I have a notification on my phone that this vehicle is turning left? Or can you share any insight into what that future might look like? I wish I had that insight. As I say, I always look just in front of my nose. And I don't think of it in terms of scale, but that's an apt analogy. Um, Because what is better to scale than safety? And certainly vehicle-to-vehicle collisions, two-vehicle, multi-vehicle collisions are a problem. But increasingly, vulnerable road users, to extend this past pedestrians, to include bicyclists uh, and other road users, they become an important part of our transportation fabric and the safety fabric that we need. So yes, scalability is, is, is the correct way to think about it. Well, C2X primarily, you're very welcome. Will C2X primarily be found in dense urban environments, or will you see it on, for instance, I live in Florida and there's a thing called Alligator Alley and you have to go through a toll booth and in the northern part of Florida, I you did a demo day in Tampa, they have managed control lanes. Will you, will that V to X go in that type of infrastructure or will it just stay mostly in dense urban environments where you have high pedestrian traffic? Interesting question, and I wish I could predict this. It will largely go in the early days into the infrastructure. Certainly it needs to go in the cars. The cars need something to talk to, and which would be the infrastructure. This is why it's an important concert between the two types of of transportation participants. Um, Where it goes is where the problem is. So if it's a high crash concentration location, um, this would be perfect for it. So it could be in dense urban areas, say at an intersection or several intersections. Um, It could in early days be uh, where there's a blind curve. Um, there is a group within SAE working on a tolling standard. Since you have a radio that, that is connected to the telematics control unit, is actually part of the telematics control unit, why can't it do another function? So where it will go is really on left to the imagination and the need of the implementing or deploying stakeholders, plural, the car stakeholders the, and the, the infrastructure owner operator stakeholders. So I have a pretty big imagination and you're, you're giving all these great analogies. And the first thing that comes to my mind is you see them out west in the Dakotas and Wyoming, the, the runaway truck lanes. Is this something where this technology can be to alert the driver? Hey, we had an incident. There was a runaway truck there. You might want to hit your brakes sooner or divert the path. Is that kind of another example of how this can improve safety and improve efficiency? It is. And, and I like that analogy or that use case because it, it exercises two aspects of CV2X. One would be the network connectivity. But say that you don't have network connectivity that well, or you have something that's really near real time, in which case you would like to direct communication aspect. And both of them are in the aforementioned telematics control unit. 
And it is one radio that has this ability to uplink and downlink with the types of network connectivity that we need. It also has the ability to talk side to side or directly to the adjacent truck. So, so indeed, that would be a very good use case um, and where we hope to see some early victories. I'd love to get some, gather some insight. China has the largest deployment of C, uh, to VDEX in the world. Are there any interesting cases that have surprised you? We talked about the runaway truck in, in, uh, case, but has there been any real world data from China? Say, wait a second, this is a really interesting use case. We learned something really informative here. A couple things about China. Everything about China is really interesting to anyone in the automotive industry and actually culturally it's fascinating anyway. Um, we lost count in China on field implementations or trials on the infrastructure side at 84. So I know it's some lumber larger than that. So what is surprising is the scale. Um, what is also surprising, uh, not so surprising, is that the domestic OEMs and the joint ventures are jumping in to do CV2X, as you noted. Um, are the use cases, they're a little bit different, but they have some of the same structure. That is, they use the same 20 megahertz we do in the US. And, and their, their application profiles are similar to ours, which means that a US SKU generally would work in China, which is good to know because the converse is true. Now, what they do have that's a little bit different is a strong I2V set of messages. So they, it's a true belief that you would have infrastructure with sensors and it would be able to communicate to cars at low market penetration. Now, to work at low market penetration is something we could learn. The exact use cases might be different. Um, that would require a heavy investment on the infrastructure, which you may not see in this country. But, but the emphasis on I2V, uh, the infrastructure talking to the vehicle, is an important uh, construct going forward. Do you think that becomes an important construct for autonomous vehicles as uh, the CEOs have made public statements and getting ready towards commercialization? Does CV to X play a large role in that? Are there many benefits to it? You know, we, we all have different uh, perceptions or actually uh, prognostications of the future. I used to live in the Silicon Valley, and one aspect of it is, is that um, there is a rugged individualist, uh, uh, someone who, who, who may or may, you know, takes risks, but understands that, that autonomy in every sense of the word is pretty important to the rollout. So these vehicles are ego vehicles, self-contained sensors, uh, that that sense uh, perceive and then act on what is sensed and perceived. So CV2X could be just another sensor. So I'm here to say, and I don't think it's any great revelation, that autonomous vehicles will happen irrespective of the types of communication technologies, noting that you still need to have network connectivity to learn, to gather data, to send data back. The short range communication from our perspective is an enhancement over and above what would be happening anyway. And it would accelerate and make more effective the concept of automated vehicles. For example, um, within release 16 or this first version that's already been standardized of 5G new radio sidelink, those are terms I've used before in this discussion, uh, we have an idea of distance-based group cast. So that means a group of vehicles, say vehicles coming at each other from different legs of an intersection that are close together would be able to understand and formulate a group right away at the physical layer. That means you don't have any delay. You have low latency, 
connectivity for cooperative vehicles. To us, that's pretty powerful. The infrastructure could be involved in that too. Um, but but it, it, it enhances, makes better the idea of cooperative autonomy because of the cooperative. But autonomy all by itself will happen irrespective of people like me. The cooperative is interesting. In one of the, the books I referenced that I read, it talked about a lot about the history of the DARPA Grand Challenges. And during the Urban Challenge, they had the, the first cr- crash for autonomous vehicles where all four of the competitors came to the intersection at the same time. So with your C, uh, C to VX technology in the future, those vehicles know, okay, you're going to go first, I'm going to go second. Is that like a really good analogy where the intersection could flow a lot smoother? It is. I have a PowerPoint given to me by people on one of the Stanford team, Junior, and it was entitled The World's First Traffic Jam. And, <laughs> and so you might be referring to something different, but, but indeed they couldn't negotiate, so they're all stopped. Yes. Yeah, so it was yep. a deadlock. And certainly that, that is exactly... Uh, what one of the aspects that that would be alleviated by communication between the vehicles, vehicle to infrastructure, however you want to implement it, uh, the technology, and then soon enough the standards will enable this movement and not a gridlock at one intersection. There's a safe movement also, which is important, uh, which 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 you know counts every bit as as much as as the the throughput. It's it's, it's funny because. Junior was one of those vehicles. Tulane was another one. Carnegie Mellon, I believe it was Stanford, was uh, starting at Stanford, MIT. And they didn't program the algorithm for this. What happens if we all get there at the same time? So it's really interesting how this technology has evolved and it continues to get better every day. Another trend that we're, we're seeing both on autonomous vehicles in society in general, everything is becoming connected. My Nest thermostat's connected to the internet. We're connected to the internet right now. It raises the question of security, colonial pipelines in the news. How secure is CV2X? Well, it's secure in a variety of ways. Um, one thing is it's not a SCADA system or it's not a very um, – a system which, for example, the pipeline to which you refer, um, that, that is centrally controlled. It's, it's a different proposition. Uh, when I'm talking about – vehicles interacting to say again you're a vehicle and i'm a vehicle i would be talking to you and you need to authenticate who i am over and above the security that's built into our chipsets uh the the way that we do security and implementation there is the operational aspect of the security which means every bit as much to the driver as being secure and understanding that that the entire integrity and security of the vehicle is there, the operation. So that means if you're coming at me and I don't know who you are, I need to authenticate who you are to make sure you're not misbehaving or you're, you're not deliberately uh, trying to send me a false alarm. False alarm is the bane of anything that does ADAS. And so I need to authenticate who you are. So there is a PKI, a public key infrastructure system, an idea that you would have certificates that say that you are in the in crowd, that you're okay. If you're not okay and start misbehaving, those certificates would be revoked. So again, the intrinsic security that's in all our products, then also this idea of security services, which guarantee or provide as much guarantee as possible in these environments, that that operation that you could be trusted and I can be trusted. So. The, to that end, there has been um, a very elegant, I hesitate to say elaborate, uh, 
There's some elaboration, but at the key, at the heart of it, is a very elegant asymmetric security concept driven from first principles has been put into standards and is being implemented today. And that's something that, that we can uh, trust in. Is that where the brilliance of low latency 5G comes in so the authentication can happen very, very quickly? It could. Um, the authentication here is very local. So you don't need to put a 5G rubric on it. You can just call it short-range direct communication. Um, the brilliance of 5G happens in so many other ways to include better security uh, at the source um, for asymmetric or network security. But, but the idea that you need to authenticate the transaction to make sure that when someone says, you might be crashing into me, that that's a true type of message is, is something that transcends 5G. You've mentioned several times throughout this conversation with the, the CV2X community working together, the authenticating. So how is the community handling the secure communications? Are they all fully encrypted? How, do, how is the community coming together on that? I, I could start giving you uh, alphabet soup of standards names, um, um, but but um, there there are security service standards, uh, which is interesting because it's globally harmonized. Um, uh, basically, um, what's happening in Europe and what's happening in China could be regarded as a profile to some of the standards pioneered in 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 the U.S. with regard to security. So I, I'm going to actually not resist the temptation. I'm going to do it. The standard is IEEE 1609.2, and that's important to note because in the stack of standards, from the radio up through the intermediate layers plus security plus the applications, are a host of SDOs. So at the radio level, you have people who specialize at that. At the intermediate levels plus security, there are people who specialize at that. At the top of the pyramid is SAE because it integrates all of those and says exactly what the profile should be for implementation. So it is a truly a, a multi-party, uh, ecumenical, community-wide type of an effort. It's it's really insightful, and I love how you say alphabet soup because it went through my head when I had it. The Campbell's alphabet soup as a kid, so I wonder if everybody in everybody in our industry, oh, your parents served you that once, and so you have, you have to learn it. And st staying on that track, Jim, uh, growing up, why did you want to become an engineer? Was it like this? You've got this incredible passion for, for research, but what was that moment that made you want to become an engineer? You said, you know what, I'm going to do this. There are a whole bunch of inspirations that one draws, right? And so it's really hard to pinpoint, although I think I can pinpoint it. Um, it was a Saturn V launch. And I decided that I love rockets. And I'd be, so uh, just uh, before my, my journey into ground vehicle transportation, I worked on rockets. So I was able to realize the dream I had when I was eight. Um, so certainly, uh, but we all have our different journeys. Um, what's important on all this is that, uh, you know, you like math and science, and many in this audience do. It's an SAE podcast, for gosh sakes. Um, but, but as you, you get more mature in outlook, uh, things become more important. Um, and so certainly saving lives became more important than, than, than rockets with, with uh, Good specific propulsion, um, but but what happens um, as you get older is that you want younger uh, generations or successive generations to also want to become engineers. So STEM is important to me. I, that term didn't exist when I was growing up. STEM was maybe the base of a plant, but now it means a whole lot. And so 
certainly, um, you know, things progress. So I can tell you why I want to become an engineer. I'm hoping that other people had the same types of educational opportunities that were available to me. And that, that brings up this great point because you're doing a great job around STEM, but Qualcomm is doing a fantastic, amazing job. And as a father of a young child, I'm very thankful for what Qualcomm has done. Qualcomm has made a three-year commitment to provide exponential project-based STEM learning to 150 to 250 children annually through the SAE Foundation, SAE World in Motion program. This is a really big commitment. As a parent, I'm very thankful. Will you please kind of talk about this program and why Qualcomm made that commitment? Was it, was this your Saturn V launch moment and said, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give back? Well, it was in a way. Um, certainly Qualcomm in, in areas outside of the SAE Foundation believes in and contributes to STEM. So when we were approached by the SAE Foundation, I had a little discussion with my boss who is um, Nicole Dugall, uh, you know, the SVP and general manager of our automotive business unit. And uh, we wanted to do this, irrespective of where officially the, the color of money is within the company. So he committed basically money from our business unit to do this, such is our belief uh, that, that uh, within the business unit, but, but culturally and company-wide that we have. So certainly we're pretty, we're pretty, we are really proud to be part of this this virtual STEM experience, which we're contributing to, to what you allude, and very specifically the Electric Vehicle Learning Center. Um, so again, taken out of um, our local business unit uh, to do this, uh, such as our belief in, in SAE Foundation and STEM. But it took, it took leadership on Qualcomm's part. It took leadership on your boss's part, it took leadership on, on, on your part. And that's what, what this goes, without leadership, we won't have the education that we need, and you know, very, very thankful for that. I'd love to stay on this for a minute. Could you dive more into the EV Learning Center and why Qualcomm decided that this was really important? Well, I mean, it, it hits the the future um, in so many ways. So, you know, holistically, obviously, we want future leaders in science and technology, uh, and certainly, we I belong to the automotive business unit. So, vehicle kind of hits the right note. And our future includes electrification, uh, certainly includes automation. And, you know, the part that I deal with is the connectivity aspect. But but it hits all the high notes for us. So hopefully we have, a, excuse the pun, a chorus of future leaders coming from that. And there, there's no doubt electrification is the future. And if, you know, for our listeners, if your company is interested in getting involved, you can help champion uh, equitable hands-on STEM learning experiences for pre-K through 16 students and you're coming to the SAE Foundation. Get involved as an SAE World in Motion known as AWIM volunteer program through SAE Propel. Make a gift, explore opportunities for your company, become a port corporate partner. To learn more, visit saefoundation.org. That's saefoundation.org. Jim, we've covered a ton of ground. We've talked about really cool connectivity. We've made awesome analogies. Putting this all together, what does the future of connected mobility look like? I got to wear shades. Um, excuse uh, <laughs> the 80s song. Um, but it is pretty bright um, because if, if you just look at the trends, connectivity uh, becomes more and more important. And from my perspective, uh, heterogeneous connectivity is the answer. You have a heterogeneous road system, right? You have little roads leading into arterials, leading to limited access roads or highways. 
communication systems should overlay that. 5G networks do that. There is the short range communication. There are intermediate steps as you go to mobile edge or multi-axis edge computing. There's going through the core network. So they overlay each other perfectly. And to me, it's a match made in heaven. The, the connectivity and transportation will only enhance our mode choice, will enhance how we run our system. So to me, it's a no-brainer um, that, that, that as we advance in communications and advance in transportation, that there would be a, a perfect fit. And it's a perfect fit for, Com, uh, for Qualcomm because you have connectivity and mobility and your chips and technology are allowing this all to happen. And Jim? Uh, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Uh, just tip of the iceberg. We're, we we do other things, but but certainly uh, in the world that I'm in, uh, it's a perfect match. It is a perfect match, and you're the perfect individual to lead this effort because you, you have the charisma, you have the knowledge, and this has been a really fun, great conversation. So I could imagine what your conversations are in the office every day, and they're probably awesome. And as we, we look to wrap up this insightful conversation, what would you like our listeners to take away with them? Well, that that collectively, um, and we, Qualcomm, are part of the collective, really and truly want to see vehicle safety communications around the corner. And beyond that, the visions that we talk about, we hope that that's shared and, and that we can uh, transcend or leapfrog a vehicle safety communications to other horizons, ultimately leading to, to better travel experiences. And, and so that would be the takeaway other than to thank you significantly and profusely for, for giving me and us this half an hour to talk about things of import to us at Qualcomm. You're very welcome. And I hope you'll come back and join us again. I'm a huge fan of your company, our producers from San Diego, and you're, you're doing really great things. And I, I love going to your booth every year at CES because you always have something cool to look at and play with. And I love watching your, your press announcements because Qualcomm continues to innovate and I can't wait to see as we get to the next generation of, of 6G what the incredible engineers at Qualcomm are going to think up next. So Jim, thank you so much for, for coming on the SAE Tomorrow Today podcast, sharing your incredible insights because tomorrow is today, today is tomorrow, and 5G is the future. Jim, thank you so much. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to SAE Tomorrow Today. To learn more about Qualcomm's commitment to STEM and get involved to inspire the next generation of innovators, through the SAE Foundation, be sure to see the link in the show notes. Be sure to join us next time when I sit down with Justin Urbachi, CEO, Los Angeles World Airports. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please kindly rate, review, and let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next by emailing us at podcast at SAE.org. That's podcast at SAE.org. And be sure to follow us on LinkedIn to stay connected and to continue the conversation. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.